Hey guys, welcome to episode three of Paddle Pedal Fish. Uh, tonight we are going to speak with some special guests um, about the national championship that's coming up in Louisiana, and uh, we're also going to talk about some pre-spawn tactics. Uh, we've got Josh Shrinko on the line for sm- talk about smallmouth pre-spawn. We've got Glenn Landstrom that's going to talk to us a little bit about the largemouth pre-spawn. And uh, we also have Brad Oswalt who's going to be a guest tonight talking about his uh, upcoming journey to Louisiana for the national championship. Hopefully I said Louisiana right. Nobody's going to get mad at me for that. So our host tonight, we've got uh, myself, Jason Young. Uh, we've got Alan Reed, Matt Gibson, and Brad Montgomery. So uh, let's get this started. Uh, let's get to get know our guests a little bit. So Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, my name is Josh Shrinko. Um, I uh, live in Greenwood, Indiana, and I've uh, kind of gotten to know these guys just through the last probably, I don't know, four years or so. Um, fished a few of the, the tournaments, but really I, I kind of specialize in river fishing specifically for smallmouth. So I, I fish the uh, White River tournaments. And then uh, really looking forward to the Tippecanoe tournament this year. Um, but I I uh, have a blog, questfor23.com. So I kind of write about um, you know, adventures going around trying to catch big smallmouth. Also, I have a podcast. So I actually have three, <laughs> three nights in a row I'm recording podcasts. So this is night two of three that I'm recording some sort of audio podcast, but uh, it's Smalley Talk, so we, we basically just a couple guys sitting around talking about smallmouth, um, and uh, yeah, I just um, just really passionate about smallmouth fishing, and uh, apparently these guys think that I know what I'm talking about, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear just ramble on for a little bit about about uh, smallmouth fishing, so, so yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pause. I'm going to go ahead and pause this right here, and we're going to have a moment of silence. And during this moment of silence, <laughs> I want everyone that happens to be listening to this podcast to go out and subscribe to Smalley Talk because it's awesome. Hey, I appreciate that, man. That's uh, we have honestly, we just have fun doing it. So I'm sure you guys kind of do the same thing. You know, a lot of this stuff that we participate in, you know, is like you know, we're not, we're definitely not making any money on it. You know, we're not, it's not some kind of career path for us. You know, it's just kind of like stuff that we, you know, enjoy doing. So that's kind of, you know, I just like talking about smallmouth. and honestly, you know, we started it just because I was missing fishing so much and I just want to talk about it during the winter time. So, that, so you yeah. You to build that sweet studio in your new house. Yeah, exactly. It was an excuse to build the studio, just spend more money on stuff. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you can you can find me on Instagram. I'm about the bronze, like with underscores in between the words. So about underscore the underscore bronze, and uh, questfor23.com is a blog, and then you can find the podcast just on Apple um, Apple Podcasts. So uh, I am open if anybody is like interested in river fishing for smallmouth. And you're like, you know, looking for a little bit of advice. I'm uh, totally cool with you messaging me, and you know, uh, I'll give you. It might be misguided advice, but it'll it will be advice nonetheless. So, so how many episodes into Smalley Talk are we going to get before we get to hear about this super secret 
tube jig rig? <laughs> Maybe never. Maybe I don't never. know. I, I, I told you about it. You told so me about it, but I've been, you, I've been good. I've been staying silent. You're one of the few people that know. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll reveal it at some point. Maybe when our audience is big enough, I'll reveal it. So um, now I'll reveal it, and somebody will like get like famous off of it, and you know, go make a bunch of money. Um, Even worse if they I, called it the Josh Rig, right? You'd be like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. But it's their name would be Josh too because they wouldn't name that for me. So. <laughs> um, I did mention though, I am on the Wilderness Systems fishing team, so I got to give those guys a you know, a little bit of plug because they're, they're pretty good to me. So right on Alan, don't you fish from a Wildy? I do. I do. Love mine. The radar. O- only the best baby. Only the best. Cool. Um, Glenn, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, all right. Well, as some of you may know, my name is Glenn Landstrom. Um, I just had a birthday, turned 45, <laughs> still a oh. youngster, <laughs> quiet now, <laughs> um, originally from South Florida around West Palm Beach. So I grew up on Okeechobee, uh, fishing for big, big fat fish. And, um, right now I live in Huntingburg, Indiana, which is Dubois County in the Southern portion. Um, I'll be at the national championship this year. I think it's I think it's fourth year running. I've been lucky enough to make it, uh, and hopefully, hopefully pull out a top twenty. Anyway, it would be nice. <laughs> but um, I guess I'm here to talk about some spawning and pre-spawn pre-spawn largemouth. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to the tips for the smallmouth too. So always willing to learn something there. But um, that's about it, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what all what all information that folks out there want to know. But how can they uh, we... if they want to talk to you and reach out to you? Are you on any uh, social media platforms? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, of course, Facebook, and um, I'm on Instagram. It's cold blooded underscore Hoosier. Uh, getting some followers there and I've got a bunch of giveaway stuff I'm trying to do to boost the people that subscribe. So hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll help because the, uh, I've picked up a few sponsors this year and, you know, I want to get their name out there. So the more people I can, I can get to, uh, sign up, that'll help. Um, who are those new sponsors you picked up this year? Uh, I've got the tacklegarage.net and they carry, wide range of uh fishing lures and they do carry a lot of boat stuff as well but led lights on down the line and uh woo tungsten uh if you got i know a lot of the guys in the club have a tungsten uh company that they represent uh which are all great products as well but uh i really like the woo i've used them for some time um and also i'm in the works representing uh Thai tech baits which those are my go-to <laughs> i've probably got three hundred dollars worth of them sitting in the sitting in the boat ready to go in a couple weeks uh in my opinion they make some of the best swim baits out there but uh, those three for now so i'm working on more 
really cool. You so I, you you did say Kai Tech, right? Like at first I thought you said Thai with a T, but you said Kai Tech, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely makes some amazing swim baits. Yeah. Thanks so, for uh, hey Glenn. Thanks for trying to hook me up on that code, uh, even though I couldn't figure out how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get I, it I, out? I, I did, but it was uh, actually used uh, another code, but it, it ended up working out. But I appreciate you uh, trying to hook me up, man. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. That was uh, that was my uh, that was my issue, not yours. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's hard to relay all that information in a text, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Glenn, we've asked uh, previous guests. We've all done it. So, what got us fishing, or got you fishing? Uh, it's hands down my grandpa. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago, but started out fishing the banks for catfish with him, you know, just about every night during the summer as a, as a kid and, um, on, on through my adult life, honestly, we'd just sit on the bank and talk politics and talk about, of course he was married to Nana, but he would always talk about good looking girls and have a few have a few adult beverages now and then and just enjoy the sunset together. But, you know, family and, and such like that, I, I think it brings everybody close together and, and holds you tight, those kind of outdoor activities. What got you going in a kayak? Um, honestly, I had moved up here to Indiana about 23 years 24 years ago and i took a chance and moved back to florida about six years ago and um of course i was dying to fish and i had to sell my boat (laughs) and my harley that i owned in order to make the move and when i got down there um one of the kind of local secrets is um the turnpike canal and if you're familiar it's it's like an artery that runs up the middle of florida well there's a canal that runs by it and if you know how to get there through the back roads, it's chock full of seven and eight pounders all day long. I thought I've got to get back in there. So just uh, got on Craigslist and bought a little Sun Dolphin, eight foot or ten footer. I think it was a ten footer. Um, I caught more fish out of that thing than I have any any Hobie I've had since. I, I actually like that little kayak. <laughs> Couldn't carry anything, no electronics, just go out and go fishing, you know, just use your knowledge, put all the commercial stuff behind you and and do what you know, you know, but, uh, fell in love with it. Nothing, nothing like pulling in that first, that first large mouth, whether it's small or big, um, first time in a kayak and been hooked ever since. sorry um yeah that's a pretty normal story people get in the kayaks to get access to water you know right so uh really hard water you know so that uh that canal still exists and still hold a bunch of seven and eight pounders and when are we going (laughs) anytime i try to make a trip down at least once or twice a year but uh I only made only made it once last year, and I haven't I haven't made it this year, of course, because all the money's allocated for Louisiana. But excuse me, and then uh, well, if you win that fifty thousand, you'll have plenty of money to go down to Florida. <laughs> oh yeah, 
I'm in that bonus bucks too, so that's uh that's an extra I think what is it, five five thousand I think from KBS alone. Yeah, it's gonna be a good payday for somebody. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Hopefully I do as well as last year. I, I know I held I held top ten all day on the first day and I don't know, I think the pressure got to me a little bit. I started getting notifications on my phone, you know, it was just blinging left and right. <laughs> I kind of got, I think it got to my head a little bit and started to drop back further and further and I was heartbroken, but second day was equally as well. I started out catching fish in the first half hour, took about two hour break, not getting any. And then I just, I laid on them. I was catching, I don't know, 18, 19, 21 inches and they were coming off right at the boat, <laughs> mm. but plays pretty good considering the amount of anglers that was there, but I think it was 90, 90 second, I think, or something like that. But I don't know if I'd have landed the ones I had, like every other fisherman's story, I'd have been, <laughs> I'd have been right up there. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear some of you guys found some fish down there last year because I didn't. Yeah, we fished, um, and I don't care to tell people, but I, I fished at uh, Ken Lake Marina about it's about the midpoint and we always do really well there yeah i fished uh blood river and uh that was uh not a good choice (laughs) (laughs) so brad oswald why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself all right well uh, as you said i'm brad oswald i'm out of uh, columbus indiana down here in Allen Reed territory. <laughs> uh, this will be my this, second This is year. my area here. I just I'm a oh. just a resident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this will be my uh, second year kayak fishing. Um, really went kind of gung ho into it last year after uh, Richie Shaw got me in a kayak at a Labor Day cookout and gave me a set my rod up with a Ned rig. And, Told me how to fish it, and away I went and started catching bass. And excuse the bad pun, but I was hooked. Um, I hadn't fished for quite a few years. Um, had been doing four wheeler racing and all other kinds of activities. And uh, yeah, something about that day just it really clicked and kind of brought me back uh, back into it. So I spent last year. Uh, just, like I said, going kind of crazy with the whole KBF thing and shooting for uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, I ended up doing like, five trails, the open up and across, and probably 15 to 20 of the state and national challenge series events, you know, just trying to accumulate points and chase that Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think the highest I ever got it was about sixth place about mid-year and then started to slip away a little bit but had a lot of fun uh, doing it and traveling and uh, learning along the way Um, it's definitely been an adventure so you qualified this year for the national championship because you were angler the year for indiana right well is that correct i think that would have happened yes um, i did get a partnership um, bid through SIAC in there uh, to have a drawing um, they did their 
top three for angler of the year and then the other two spots they did a kind of blind drawing for and i was one of the fortunate ones to get that spot so uh yeah i ended up uh kbf angler of the year for indiana um which was kind of a surprise announcement they made i don't think they'd really done that before they kind of uh threw that one in there um i think it's something they're going to continue it's going to change a little bit um it's going to be just based on challenge series points and it's not just limited to your points in indiana um it's basically whoever has the highest amount of challenge points uh, from the state will win that title uh, going forward. I see. Whereas last year it was the total point accumulation like they did for the AOI with trails, opens, and challenges. You ever wonder how they can keep track of all that stuff? Gosh, I get lost um, in it. Yeah, Josh Martin uh, is a saint, I think, because he uh, he has a lot of patience. Uh, good dude. I fished with him a little bit up in the cross. Uh, we both caught more pike than bass. That's a different another story. <laughs> um, that was fun. Uh, but yeah, he 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 definitely uh, put some uh, blood, sweat, and tears. I'm sure into that uh, those Excel sheets and really does some good work for all of us there. Keep track of that stuff. I had another question I was going to ask you, and I completely forgot what it was. So. <laughs> That's what happens when you get old, right, Glenn? Oh. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your What are your KBF plans for this year besides the national championship that's coming up? Uh, focus is mainly going to be on the uh, central region. I'm going to be fishing at least three trails there, if not four. Um probably do one in the southeast on Kentucky Lake and uh, going to go back up to uh, East West Harbors up there in Sandusky area. That was a really fun event last year. Uh, that falls in the northeast. Um, going to try to get at least one, if not two, of the Hobie Bass Open events in. Uh, mainly St. Clair. Kentucky Lake's kind of up in the air for me, schedule-wise. Um so I'll be making two trips up to St. Clair this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully get yeah. some new uh, personal week. best on the smallies. So you mentioned you mentioned earlier that you were, prior to getting into the kayak fishing, that you were doing quad racing or four-wheeler racing, um, and then you jumped headfirst into the whole competitive fishing thing. Is that, is that probably just your competitive drive and – focusing that drive on something else besides quads? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I did a few, not as many as I'd like to, uh, races back in the day. Um, money was you know, kind of a limiting factor there, plus with school, time, and everything. Um, growing up, I played a lot of sports, baseball, football, basketball here and there. I always just really liked competing. Uh you can ask my wife, she refuses to play most board games with me, especially Monopoly. Um, <laughs> I'm very competitive. <laughs> uh, my wife just says yeah, I cheat. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I follow all the rules with Monopoly. I, I take it. Root. That's my serious game. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are you saying that now that uh, national championships, you're going to have Monopoly boards set up in the house and be trying to take everybody's yeah. money? 
and a karaoke hey, machine. Hey, you want to? Uh, yeah, if you, you and Chad and Richie want to. You know, Richie Richie gets in it on the Monopoly too. Um, so you and Chad might lose some money there. <laughs> we'll have to see. But uh, wait, yeah, I think just uh, gambling at Monopoly. Yeah, why not? I have never thought of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> a little skin in the game, absolutely. Well, technically, you're playing for money anyway. <laughs> That's right. It's true. All right. Well, I think we should probably move on to the club updates. Uh, Alan, do you want to give us some some updates? Hey. So before we do that, so okay. Brad, you just uh, you just got a new sponsor. I saw yesterday. You want to mention who you're with? Oh yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and shout them all out here real quick. Uh, so Flambeau is kind of coming to the kayak world. Um, a lot of us are familiar with Flambeau tackle boxes. I think a lot of us either grew up with the uh, fishing out of Grandpa's Flambeau or Plano or whatever you know he had or Dad or whoever. That was my case. Um, I think my first tackle box was a Flambeau, so everything kind of comes full circle in a way. Um, so they've got a new uh, kind of a kayak. Um, souped up milk crate, so to speak. Um, it's got some really nice features to it. Um, looking forward to getting my hands on that here in a few days and putting it through the paces at the national championship if it gets here in time. Um, also give a shout out to, uh, TRC rod covers. Um, you know, we, we spend all this money on these rods, you know, some of us, and, you know, I think my most expensive rod is a, my glass chatterbait rod I just got. And, you hear all these horror stories, people breaking off guides as they're going down the road and stuff. So anything you can do to protect those is going to be worth it. So uh, Alan actually last year kind of turned me on to the TRC covers and their benefits and uh, bought some and really liked them and uh, ended up uh, getting on with them about a month ago or so. Uh, Wu Tungsten, like Lynn said, you know, I've been using Wu since I started. Um, I, you know, a lot of people have different opinions about it, and that's and that's fine. Um, I like what you get and the quality for the price. Um, and then I uh, give a shout out to uh, Brian Tacey over at Strictly Sale um, and the whole Tacey family over there. Awesome guys. Um, if you're in the Hobie market, um, just a great uh, bunch of people that really go out of their way to take care of their customers. So uh, if you're in the tri-state area definitely go see brian and those guys over there hey and if you guys haven't had a chance to sit down and talk to brian um brian's the only one i've met but he is an awesome dude he's big as a house too uh kind of intimidating (laughs) (laughs) but a great guy yeah when he uh when i went over to buy my hobie my pa 14 back in november and he had one of the new outbacks out there and it was his i looked at him I looked at that outback. I looked at him. I looked at that outback. I said, there's no way. He goes, oh, yeah, I stand up in this thing. There's no problem at all. It can be done. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> the, dude, the dude is like a, a mountain. He really yeah, is. Yeah, he's a big old boy. But, yeah, but he's a great guy. Absolutely. And they do, uh, you know, some fun, uh, I mean, they're tournaments, right? But they kind of have a fun feel to them. Um, if you want to drive over to, to the Cincinnati area sometime, uh, typically do a cookout. Um, sometimes I, I know the one last year had a cookout on pre-fishing day. 
and uh, you know, just roll up to the bank there, come up, get you a hot dog or hamburger, and um, go back out and finish your fishing if you want. Yep, they've got a uh, quite a quite a few events scheduled this year. I think seven or maybe even eight events, um, in all different kinds: lakes, rivers. Um, they're doing a 150 mile radius out of Cincinnati again. So if you're in Indiana and you want to fish some of your own waters, uh, you can do that. Um, a lot of them fall on Sundays, which is kind of nice. Uh, I know some people uh, really like that that Sunday thing. That's good for me. <laughs> if I'm on my way back from a KBF trail on Saturday night, I can maybe catch an extra tournament on Sunday. I've never actually uh, met anyone from Strictly Sail, but I spent several years on the Hobie fishing team with... Uh, couple different dealers around the indianapolis area and i never heard a bad thing about anyone at strictly sale they've definitely been a uh a big player in the kayak fishing game that's for sure yeah i uh, definitely second that brian's taking care of me my fourth one so far so (laughs) always makes a good deal and even as big as he is he's always got a smile on his face from mm -hmm. ear to ear so Absolutely. Glenn, are you still in an outback? I am, yeah. I actually had a crack in mine. I was putting in a new uh, new C deck, or no, I was putting in new LED lights uh, about three weeks ago, and I would have never seen it otherwise, but had a crack in it, and I called Brian, and uh, of course I've known him for a while, but I called him and I said, what can we do? You know, I, I had uh, three weeks left on my warranty. And he had me, he had a new one sitting there. He gave me the $400 camo upgrade for free. And he just said, just come get it when you get time. He was actually headed out to go get married. So he just left it sitting out front. And I ran down there and picked it up, uh, I guess about two weeks ago. That's awesome. I went, went from the outback or, uh, from the PA to the, uh, outback. I don't know, mainly just for, a little lighter um mm-hmm. i really liked my pa though I, I miss the room sometimes for sure but uh a little those little outbacks are fast my, my brother's always had an outback and i'd be in that pa loaded down with you know 12 inch electronics and two batteries and all my gear and pedaling for everything i had and he'd just yeah. stand there be doing circles around me and i'm like, all right <laughs> did they're, you get one they're of definitely the... quicker so did you get one of the 2019 Outbacks? Uh, I didn't. He was he he was really hoping that he could do that for me, mm-hmm. um, and it would have the only cost involved in that would have been uh, the seat upgrade because they went to the Advantage seat this year. Mm-hmm. But as it would be, uh, they told him since he had one 2018 left in stock that that's what they would give me. Yeah, Makes sense. I'm. I'm happy. Yeah, those new those new 19 Outbacks are, are look wicked. I haven't been in one yet, but they they look amazing. I think uh yeah did some great upgrades to those. They yeah, did, I have yeah. to say I've I've not been a big Hobie fan over the years, just from design and look. But uh, that that Outback looks awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a popular boat this year. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Brian and the guys are also carrying new canoe down too, as well. 
So nice. Is this, this, is this their first year for New Canoe? Uh, their, I think, I think this is second or third. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think last year. Yeah, sounds right. They're probably going to be a, a good outlet for New Canoe. I, if I if I recall correctly from from my Hobie days, they they moved a lot of kayaks. So Alan, why don't you go ahead and give us some updates on uh, some some sidetrack news? Yeah, I completely got a sidetrack there, didn't I? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to rein it back in. <laughs> See if we can All keep right, this under so, three hours. So um, I have a couple tournaments coming up in April. Um, and both of them um, need to get signed up early. So the first one's going to be the uh, um, month-long April event. So you're going to have to be signed up, you know, the the day before um, to get in on that one. And then that'll be, uh, you know, kind of the traditional, uh, you know, challenge event style, KBF and the stuff that we've done in the past. So, um be your best five fish there and then uh we have a fun event on sunday april the 14th it's going to be at shackamack state park it's going to be the kayak kitty pole challenge um that one um you're going to need to get signed up and paid by april the first um the reason for that is that we're going to provide the kitty poles and um, so that gives us time to get those ordered and shipped in um, from the, the company we're getting those from. And uh, we had some people ask, um, you can't modify them, no changing out the line, uh, but they're, they're going to be better gonna... than your, uh, <laughs> you know, your Spider-Man or Snoopy pole that, that you're going to walk into Walmart and buy. They're, they'll be better than that. You need to watch your uh, mouth. There's nothing better than a Snoopy pole. <laughs> I have nothing against Snoopy. Yeah, so I have mine. You should fish with that then Matt it's one of the IKA tournaments (laughs) (laughs) but uh, so that's what we have uh, coming up for April um, for SIAC Brad what do you guys have going on coming up Uh, let's see for April we have uh, of course we have uh, most of you guys know we got six lakes in play this year and uh, so on the 13th and 14th of April, we have uh, Lake Monroe, Sullivan Lake, and Lake James Chain. Um, on the 20th and 21st, we have Geist, Bluegrass, and Potoka. And uh, so if you guys, I think uh, most of you guys on here are familiar with that, but uh, um, if you're not, uh, check it out, get signed up. And uh, I think this is going to be a fun series. So looking forward to this uh, growing. And uh, right now we're we're limited to the uh, uh, 14 spots per day. Uh, just trying to stay within the Indiana guidelines without having to do the permits and uh, the checks to the state and all that good stuff. So. That may change in the future, but uh, right now that's what we're doing. So, um, if once we get 14 on Saturday and 14 on Sunday, it'll be filled up and done. 
it's a really cool format. I'm, I'm anxious to see how it turns out. I'm hoping to maybe be able to participate in a couple of them, but probably won't be in April. But Geist is always a uh, hop, skip, and a jump for me. Not that not that I'm very good fishing there, but I like the lake. Well, we've got them all year long, so hopefully, uh, you know, each of the lakes uh, we're going to have through uh, April, May, June, July, August. Um, so each lake of the, each lake will be in play all those months. So hopefully, you can get involved in some of them. And uh, of course, we've got our state championship uh, on uh, September twenty first, so twenty first and twenty second. Right. Did you have anything else? Nope, that's it. Okay. I'll give a couple quick updates for Indiana kayak anglers. Um, so we've got our Summit Lake event, our season opener coming up on the 27th of April. Um, we don't have that up on Tourney X yet. We're still finalizing a few more details, but that should be up soon. Have all that information and begin registration for that. Um, we also have our um, fundraising event in May, which... Um, we're, is a uh, one night stand type event. Let's guys fish at night if they want. You have a 23 hour window. Um, you have a 23 hour window and one in uh, to fish, and you get to choose which day you want that 23 hour window to fall in. Um, we're donating half of the revenue from that event to uh, one of our fellow anglers, Joe Gentry, and uh, to help his family out for some for some things they're going through this summer. And uh, the other half is actually fundraising for Indiana Kayak Anglers to help us cover expenses for the year. Um, one of the things about that fundraising event is uh, thanks to Mr. Brad Montgomery, uh, a company called uh, Kayak Tough Lights has uh, shown interest and has offered to donate some more product to allow us to provide some extra prizes. So not only will the, the first place angler receive a... Uh, $1,200 plus uh, bona fide kayak package from Moving Water Outfitters, but second and third place will also receive some light, some LED light packages, and they, they look pretty sweet. I haven't seen them in person yet, but they look pretty nice. So we're, we're very thankful for that and uh, blessed to have them on board for sure. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Brad. Yeah. Uh, hey, well, quick note on that, fellas. I didn't do anything. Uh, I appreciate that, but uh, we were just having a conversation, uh, Michael and I, and um, he, it was actually his idea. So I told him, I basically told him about the clubs that we have here in the state, and he started doing some investigating, and uh, that was all on him. Um, like I said, I mean, I, I reached out to him and started a conversation, but other than that, I didn't do anything. That was all his idea, and um, you know, from what what a little bit I've talked to this guy, he seems like a really good guy. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see these products in hand because they're doing some things that uh, some of these other light manufacturers are not doing. Uh, so the I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but this is going to have a, uh, where you can actually control the system through your phone. And I don't know if anybody mm -hmm. else has seen that or not, but um, pretty cool stuff. So, But anyway, I appreciate the shout-out, but that really that was not on me. That was on Michael from Tough Light. So. Well, you did, you did the legwork, man. You know what I mean. He would have he wouldn't have known anything about it if you hadn't mentioned it. So, so we're we're thankful. So, um, hey, another note on that uh, tournament. 
because you can pick either one of those days. Um, mm-hmm. If you wanted to do another kayak at the same time, the uh, the SIAC event on Bischoff Reservoir in Batesville is on the 4th as well. If you want right. to double dip. Yep. I'm actually looking forward to having fun at this event. I'm going to fish it for just fun, but uh, I'm looking forward to it because I have never been night fishing before. So hopefully we can squeeze in our night fishing episode before then so I have some <laughs> some information. <laughs> well, I, will, I don't know if they have beavers on this lake, but uh, I will tell you this. If you hear something in the middle of the night, it sounds like a volleyball hitting the water. <laughs> it's a beaver. <laughs> I have a funny story about that. So my my uncle, my aunt and uncle own some property that butt up to White River here in Yorktown. And we always have bonfires down there, my cousins and stuff, and we hang out. And one night we were out there, and it must have been one in the morning. And there was a beaver in the river that was apparently not happy with us. And first couple times it happened, we were we had the spotlights out trying to figure out who was throwing rocks in the river. And <laughs> it was uh, it definitely uh, when when you're out in the peace and quiet, and all of a sudden you hear that it. Uh, Definitely will startle you, especially after a few uh, barley pops. Hey, Josh, are you much of a night fisherman on the river? Um, you know, not really, just because, I mean, I, I do some, like, when I camp, but um, river is kind of dangerous to navigate at night, so I try to try to stay away from that. Uh, um, so I've gotten caught on the river in the dark a few times, and uh, it was it it wasn't exactly safe. So, see, so yeah, I don't do that a ton. So I think that's well. Uh, the only other update from Indiana kayak anglers is tomorrow we're going to do a Facebook Live event with uh, with Matt, who's on the podcast with us tonight, um, Jim Orr, and myself. We're the we're the board of directors for ICA, and uh, we're going to do a Facebook Live event tomorrow to kind of go over some of our rule changes for the year, and uh, uh, our tournaments are going to, the workflow for the tournament is going to be a little bit different this year than what we've done in the past. So we're going to go over some of that tomorrow on Facebook Live, so uh, tomorrow being Wednesday. So if you're hearing this and, and didn't know about that, you need to probably go check that out and give you an opportunity to ask some questions, and, and we'll try and get everything covered for the year so we're ready to go. Matt, did you have anything else to add? Yep. Or did I get it all there? Yeah, you got it. How many anglers are signed up? Fifty-two now. Is that correct for the for the fifty-fifty uh, event? So we have uh, fifty-two that have completed registration. We have fifty-five okay. in total, but we have three people that haven't actually paid their entry fee. They've registered, but they haven't paid. Right. So we're getting pretty full on that one because that is limited to sixty anglers. So, yeah, we're we're getting getting close to full. That, that'll be a, that'll be a fun event. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be the first um, statewide open water event that Indiana Kayak Anglers has done too. But uh, with the one night stand format, I, I think it'll be a, a lot of fun for everybody. So just the thought, just because this just came out and it's that same weekend. What do you guys think of the? Uh, KBF FLW announcement yesterday. I was just thinking that. I'm yeah. excited for it. I, I'm I'm going. Heck yeah. I'm 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 excited too. Um, 
because I, I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of knew about it beforehand from a time I spent with Chad at the boat show. Um, he's not real good at keeping secrets sometimes, but, um, <laughs> but, um, I also knew, yeah, I also, I also knew the weekend it was going to be, but I didn't find out until after we had already planned our event. I don't, I don't see it as a conflict. That's it's, is what, I mean, it's two, two entirely different events and two ends of the spectrum. But I think for the sport of kayak fishing, my feeling is that it's freaking awesome. And I hope, um, I hope the kayak fishing world can support it at the level that it needs to be supported and to help it grow in the future. That's where I'm at with this whole thing, man. I think that is awesome from a growth standpoint. Uh, that was growth, not gross. So, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's really cool. The other thing too, I want to talk about the, uh, was it the, um, the Pan Am tournament that's happening down in Cooksville, Tennessee? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I that, have, I don't know much about that one. Like I've seen the, the angler list that are going to be on team America, but it mm-hmm. seemed like everything else was extremely vague, like which other countries were going to have teams represented and and format. Like, I, do you guys know any of those details? Um, I read all that the other day. I can't. I can't um, shout it all out right off the top of my head. But actually, if you'll go mm-hmm. to, they have a page on Facebook where all that's listed, and uh, so it has the other countries that are involved. But excuse me, that's that's another one that. Uh, I think it's pretty awesome. But, uh, you know, going back to that FLW thing, I think that, uh, now, obviously, I don't travel a lot uh, for tournaments. I'm going to probably do a little more traveling this year. Um, and shout out to you guys at IKA. I'm going to try to fish all of your tournaments this year. So um, we'll see. Uh, you know, my thing with that is for the guys that have the time to take off this is just a phenomenal opportunity um, because, you know, with the FLW being what they are, uh, getting the national recognition, <clears throat> and not that the uh, KBF National Championship doesn't get that, but the FLW, that just brings in another whole uh, gambit of people. So when you see that FLW attached to that, that's just, uh, that's just a great, great opportunity for everybody in the kayak world. I'm yeah, pretty with, glad with I got that fifth stuff. week of vacation this year. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, for most guys, it's just about the time, you know, having that time to take it off. Sorry. With the, uh, with the, with the coverage of, uh, of FLW, it'd be interesting what the coverage of, of this event will be as well. That's what I'm really looking forward to is seeing how they cover it all. Well, there's some huge, huge money behind the FLW. So, you know, you'd think that uh, we're talking about camera, camera crews and yeah. national stuff. I mean, it's a, it's just, yeah, just really, it's just one of those things that I don't think you can kind of quantify, you know, exactly how big it is for the kayak world. But it's, it's, it's huge for sure. Yep. So speaking of the national championship, um, 
How many how many anglers are signed up for that this year? Four hundred seventy-five. Yeah, that sounds right. It's had what? a few. Been dropping off a few the last uh, week or so. I think uh, multiple reasons. You know, people got stuff come up and kids get sick. Flu's going around like crazy. Um, it's dropped from like four eighty-seven to four seventy-five in the last week and a half or so. So were they limiting that this year to 500? No. no, I don't think there was ever a win. I think they envisioned having a field of around 500. Okay. Um, trying to cut back from that, was it 787 last year, I think? 752. 52. So I think, you know, yesterday when the, when the payouts came out, and there was a lot of people that were kind of shocked that first place was only, I say only, but that's how they word it, it's only 50K. And that 50K had always been the number since, like, April of last year. So I, I don't know where the confusion came from um, for some of these guys, but with the bonus bucks, I mean, if, I think most of us use quite a few of those products if you're in it and you win, you're going to take home almost 90 grand. Well, I think one of the things, one of the things that people try and do basic math on is they look at the entry fees and the number of anglers, and then they try and figure out what the prize money should be. But, you know, most, most of us on here right now are, are, are tournament directors and, and we understand that there's a lot more to running an event than just taking in money and paying it back out. You know what I mean? There's especially, Absolutely. especially something of that caliber. I, I can't fathom what go, how much time and effort goes into planning an event like that. I, you know, even look, look at the list of the bonus bucks. So they've worked with all of those manufacturers to negotiate, you know, bonus payouts based on the, you know, what those manufacturers are, are capable of or, or, or worth what it's worth to them. Right. And then then all of the visitors bureaus and all of the hotels and everything that they've had to work with to plan an event of that size is just I, I, I can't the, the scale of that is is amazing to me. And, and it costs money. Those things those things cost money. And I, I think a lot of people fail to see that or don't want well, to. Well, absolutely. And even of the stuff that we deal with on the local uh, planning, right? They're doing an a event this big on multiple bodies of water, right? Yeah. Last year would have been pretty easy, right? Any public access on Kentucky Lake or Barkley. Yep. Now you've got multiple lakes with streams and bayous and all that stuff coming off of all of those, right? So you've got to, there's a lot of controls. There's a lot of questions about it still. Right, because we're only two and a half weeks away, mm-hmm. and it's not all lined out yet. But there's a lot that goes into that, and we deal with that on our our events here. So on a tiny, um, tiny, tiny little scale. Well, right, yeah. right. Yeah, let's uh, let's give a shout out to the folks at KBF. <laughs> Undoubtedly, uh, they, uh, you know, dealing with what we deal with on a local basis, uh, and they're doing it nationally is just uh incredible and just kind of gives uh uh you know um 
to their passion for what they do because because uh, quite frankly they deal with a lot of crap on a daily basis um, you know and it's um, a lot of negativity from a lot of folks and unfortunately that's kind of silly at times but uh, unfortunately that happens and uh, so yeah big shout out to those the whole team there at KBF uh, not just Chad Hoover Chad always gets the kind of the kudos because he's the main man but um, they've got a big team there that does a great job so um, so the KBF National Championship is what two, you said two and a half weeks away two and a half weeks yeah yeah so yeah. do you guys? So we know on this call tonight that uh, Alan, Brad O, and Glenn are all going. What What are you guys' plans? Are you spending the week down there? Are you just gonna make it a couple days before? How How are you doing this? Yeah, I gotta look at well, the calendar. I I think I'm going down. Uh, let's see. I'll be down there the. 21st. And I think the tournament starts, what is it, 29th, right? 28. Or 28th. Yeah. Yeah, that Thursday. I'll be heading down, down um, I think Saturday the 23rd. So that'll give me about four, maybe four and a half days of pre fishing before the tournament. So do you have a, you feel like you have a pretty good plan heading down, or are you just going to try and, uh, construct your plan while you're there with that many days of pre-fishing um a little bit of both um you know there's a few few things that could really shake it up um the whole red river thing you know if the red is in play and you thought you had a good chance to make that cut of 100 you would really be doing yourself a disservice to not pre-fish the red and try to locate some good spots um, for potentially that third day. Because the thir- uh, so is the probably, third day limited to the Red River? If the Red is in play, yes, it will be limited to the Red River for the top 100. Everyone else will be able to fish for big bass on the five lakes that are in play. Okay. Right. So that's a. I was going to say when Brad mentioned that for those that are listening to this that don't know, right? It's a a three day tournament. The first few days, all of the anglers are, are fishing for that tournament. And then that third day is the top 100 from the first two. And and it, right now, this is why there's so much interest on in what's happening with the Red River, is those 100 anglers are going to the Red River to fish that third day. And so everybody wants to know, is it in play or is it not? And, you know, the water's up so much right now. And I saw some projections that Jay Whalen put out there from the, the NOAA website says it's projected to go up even higher. So, you know, at what point at 10, is it unsafe? 10 feet, yeah, 10, 10 feet below flood stage, I think is what they were projecting. Right. Right. So, um, I'm headed down on that Saturday as well. Um, Chad Howard and I, while we're not driving together, I think we're going to, our plan is to drive down Saturday, um, at some point, spend the night somewhere and then uh, finish that drive and get to start doing our fishing on that Sunday. It 
Talk about the Red River thing, guys. If uh, man, you know that can change so much uh, in just a couple of days. I mean, if the if the rain stops and you know that can, can change those conditions on that Red River so much in just a few days, it's uh, that's going to be tough tough to uh, to manage either way. Yeah. I mean, that way maybe just one of those that comes down to who can get on the water and find fish. Alan, you got a little experience in that a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, that, that's about how Chickamauga went, right? I mean, it all came down to instincts at that point. Yeah. And here in southern Indiana, we get to fish that uh, that muddy water all the time, so I'd be right at home. <laughs> So, Glenn, kind of what's been your your plan? I mean, kind of, you know, how, how are you going about making your your plans, forming your attack? Uh, well, like I said, we're headed down to 21st. Um, I'm going to – I'm going to start out at Cato. Um, I got a friend that lives down there that's – Kind of threw me a little bone on a few spots. I don't, you know, doesn't mean that they're going to be there, but hopefully that pans out. Uh, definitely going to hit the Red River a couple days. Um, just going to try to look for look for the fish on the bed. I, I mean, it might be mid spawn there by then. I guess um, I've never I've never fished there. It's, even though it's down south, it's still a little different from Florida fishing. But um, one thing, one thing that I've seen on the on on the mapping is you know all the cypress trees that are down there, and uh, uh, every tip tips and trick video that I've watched, you know the, the bass boats are up there pitching as far up into those cypress trees as they can. And there's still a mile of cypress trees they can't get through where we have the advantage there. Um, so I'm hoping, hoping that comes into play big time, being able to button all the rods down tight to the deck and, and get way back in there <clears throat> to the, uh, you know, the fish that haven't been educated yet. But um, I'm going to teach them a lesson. That, that's pretty much the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Are there, uh, I, I haven't, uh, I'm not up on my, uh, my prediction so far, but, uh, are there, are there pulling a lot of big fish out of Cato? Dolly. Oh yeah. There's, I yep. mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of big ones there. I mean, it's like any other body of water. There's, you're going to, you're going to catch a, a limit of 14s and, and 15s probably fairly quick, but, um, he's, he's sent me many pictures of him holding, you know, 20 plus fish inch fish, uh, on a regular basis. So, but he said, if you want consistent numbers, that's where I need to go. So not being from around there, you know, you kind of got to, got to, uh, take what you're given and give it a shot. <laughs> so with that many bodies of water in play, it would seem, um, do you think the anglers are going to be pretty spread out or do you think everybody's going to be kind of on the same pattern in the same, in the same body of water? 
I, I think, honestly, for the most part, that I'd say 65% of the field will be a Cato. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be some pack ramps, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean the <clears throat> the record on Kata is uh, sixteen something pounds. Oh. Um, yeah, you know the Texas side of it um, is said to be a little bit of the better side, um, and I think you know the whole lake is good from from what I've read and what I've done in my research. Um, their share bunker program really helps um, yeah. make that lake what it is. Um, so if you're down there and you, you lay into a in over 10 pounds, you got to ask yourself, yeah. do you want a free replica or not? Because <laughs> that's about what yeah. it comes down to. Um, you know, that those share bunker programs where they exist, um, you know, Florida's got a good one, Texas. Um, they're pretty cool. Um, we had the uh, uh, bass up here that those states do. Uh, that'd be something really nice for Indiana to have one day, but I don't think we're getting there anytime soon. Uh-huh. I got a lot of work to do on Indiana waters. Absolutely. So what? Hey, can you kind of enlighten us on that uh, program a little bit? I'm not familiar with it. Um. So... Uh, the basics of it are um, you catch a bass, and let's say it's 10 pounds plus, and I think they have different uh, levels of recognition within this uh, shared Lunker program. I think it's sponsored by Toyota in Texas, if I'm, if I'm thinking right. Uh, basically, there's a number you call, and they'll send somebody from Fish and Wildlife to meet you at the ramp to weigh the fish, confirm it, and everything. Um, it's a catch and release program. Um, they just want to get all the info that they can uh, about the fish. And then if it meets a certain poundage, I want to say it's 12 or more, maybe 14, they um, set you up with um, a replica uh, free of charge, is my understanding. That's cool. And then there's a big banquet at the end of the year, I think, where they recognize the top catches from the state at each lake and there's, you know, they do all kinds of door prizes and stuff there. Florida is very similar and there's, um, so it, it's a really neat program. It, it, those programs give back to the anglers and they, they definitely promote catch and release and, um, managing, um, the fisheries as best as possible. I tell you one thing I plan on doing while I'm down there if I can if I can get on a pattern I'm happy with. My brother and I are packing and heading south and gonna do a little red fishing. I'm kind of excited for that. Yeah, Richie Richie Shaw and I we've uh, we've discussed that plan as well. If uh neither of us are in the cut and come Saturday may make a little trip south, you know, maybe not redfish, maybe Toledo Bend just to fish it. Or, um, there's another one close by, but yeah, going for some redfish would be fun. Yeah. I've only caught one redfish. Uh, I was about, uh, probably 18 inches, but it hit like a little Mack truck. So 
Um, I can't, I can't imagine getting into some of those bigger ones. So I don't know how snook is down there or if they have snook down there that time of year, but, uh, if you can get into some of those, that's a lot of fun as well. Yep. Caught many of those in my day. They're, they're a good time. So do you guys have any predictions on what it's going to take to win this thing? Ooh, a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's going to be well over a hundred inches. Per day? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, people are saying that this uh, might be the first time that a national championships fishing an area in its prime time. Yep. So yeah, they're going to be hungry. They had a, uh, a tournament, a local club had a tournament yesterday down there. Or not yesterday, sorry, Sunday on uh, Cotto. The numbers were kind of surprising. Um, so I think over the next two weeks with the temps coming up, the way their weather patterns are showing, um, yeah, it's going to be prime time. It ought to be really good fishing for everybody. So speaking of patterns, well, I guess first, do you guys have anything else you want to add about the national championship? I think one thing that has been discussed before, um, at least on the like some KBN stuff and stuff like that, right? This uh, this tournament is not just huge because there's a bunch of people there, right? But what comes with that is all the exposure, kind of like we talked about with the FLW event, right? I think Richard Penny actually called it in the the discussion there. Um, the, the spectacle, right? Yep. And there's a there's a lot of debate back and forth of whether or not this is actually a national championship, right? They're doing some things here this this next year with the regional thing and a trail event and all that kind of stuff. But but you know what? The the best of the best are going to be here, right? And it, it is a great time. So. Um, yeah, uh, Glenn, where are you staying with the uh, group of people too? Right? Yeah, all pretty much all Indian anglers. Um, I can't think of who all they are, but yeah, we've got a got a cabin. So looking forward to that. I don't know who's going to be cooking, but <laughs> <laughs> but we know who's going to be the entertainment, right? Karaoke. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I can't believe you guys don't have a cook lined out yet. That's important. I still got two and a half weeks. I know there's just so much. There's so much good food to eat down there, you know. I know. It's Kurt Smith was already putting out the uh, "Where's the good restaurants around the the lakes?" And, uh, and of course, the crawfish discussion came up. If you, you know, I like them. I mean, if, you know, so if you if you like crawfish, they're going to be prime time for that as well. Um, people talking about how big and fat they are right now. So. Um, I think that's that's going to be a fun part this year, um, at least for me. I mean, last year I was, you know, I kind of did my own thing. I was really focused just on on fishing and and all that. Not, I mean, I'm still going to have all that this year, right? But um, like we alluded to earlier, right? We've got a, another group of Indiana anglers um, in a house as well, and so um, you know that's going to be be good. And um, 
kind of going to strategy, right? I mean, Chad Howard and I, we've already talked, you know, we've not been down there before, right? We're going to kind of, uh, group up and, you know, and try to dissect, um, the different bodies of water where we're, while we're down there and figure out what we want to do. So it's not like the other guys kind of have a similar plan with, you know, partnering up with people and, and trying to break that down. Cause you know, there's some guys down there that are accustomed to fishing that water and it's, it's quite a bit different than what we have here. Just hope I don't snag a gator. That's good eating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not carrying it in my kayak. <laughs> Make sure you get it on video. So, meanwhile, the rest of us are stuck back here in Indiana, right? And so, the last thing we wanted to talk about tonight were some pre-spawn tactics, and so we should be we should be running into that pre-spawn real quick. Um, especially as our all of our tournament seasons get started here in April. So tonight we wanted to have Josh talk a little bit about um, his knowledge on smallmouth and the pre-spawn. Josh, why don't you uh, why don't you give us a breakdown of how you would uh, approach some pre-spawn fishing? All right, you guys are ready to talk about some smallmouth? I've been hearing about this largemouth the whole time. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so first of all, smallmouth are better than largemouth. So you got? Do we all agree on that? Shots all- fired. They fight. I do love smallmouth. <laughs> oh man. Um, I am no. an equal opportunity bass catcher. <laughs> oh man, when I catch largemouth, I club them in the head and throw them back in the water. So hope you guys aren't mad at me for that. <laughs> that kind of goes against well, the hey, kayak fishing thing, the tail <laughs> uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so so yeah, it's been a really long freaking winter. I'm sure you guys are all feeling the same way I am. And, uh, you know, I think when March hits, it kind of like mentally gets you, you know, get you excited, get you thinking about, you know, your first trips that you're going to take. Um, so, you know, as far as like when I, 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 so I fish for smallmouth all year round, first of all, um, as long as there's not ice on the river, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm okay with fishing for them. It's obviously going to be a, a lot um more difficult in the winter time but you know i i feel like i i keep i keep a fishing journal i don't know if you guys do that or not but i keep a fishing journal and i try to go back um and look at um you know the past several years um about when you know i start um getting the fish start getting in that pre-spawn mode and what you know i consider pre-spawn you know for a at least a you know i'm talking about rivers here just because indiana there's not really a lot of um you know there's not a lot of reservoir smallmouth so i'm fishing you know rivers around here for sure but i usually see the the pre-spawn stuff start to happen around like early like first week of april so we still got um you know still got a couple weeks left three weeks left of that um and i specifically remember last year i was just looking at that um, a couple seconds ago it was like april 12th was like the first day i like caught like fish were chasing so that you know they were kind of in that feeding mode and they were out of their wintering holes so 
Um, and I think the water temperature was like high 40s, like 48, 49 degrees. So just to give you guys an idea of like, you know, when when that kind of starts to, you know, happen. Um, but, you know, from a, uh, you know, I don't know if you have specific stuff you want me to talk about, Jason. You want me to just talk about general, you know, migration patterns and how I'm catching them? What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? I I think both of those, if you could cover them, that would be great. Like what, how how you would break down the river when you go out. Um, sure. What sort of patterns you're going to look for. Um, yeah. Just, um, okay. So whenever, you know, winter hits a fish, like, you know, I just call it wintering up. Um, they go into, you know, their, their winter holes and, Wintering holes are hard to identify unless you um, fish a river a lot, um, but generally they're going to be like the a real deep, slow area that's protected from current, um, and you know that's where you fish in the winter time. And those fish are super lethargic during the winter. They kind of like it's kind of weird. They like pod up. They'll like move around in groups. They don't really get isolated like they do during the warmer months. They'll, they'll like school up and they'll like sit in one place for a long time and then the whole pod will like kind of move around the winter wintering hole, but the, generally they're going to stay in like the deeper parts of the hole. When that water temperature gets to a certain, you know, degree, or I think a lot of it, a lot of the fishing stuff that, you know, really even with largemouth that drives fish behavior or like length of days. So I think those fish kind of have a, you know, innate sense of, you know, how long the sun's staying up and when it, you know, starts to hit that time where, you know, they know that the, the, the spring's coming, um, they start to move, migrate out of that wintering hole. And a lot of times you'll see like on a warm, the best time to go fishing in, in pre-spawn is like when you've had a couple warm days in a row in those fish that kind of triggers them to come, um, out of the wintering hole and they'll, usually move either the top or the bottom of the wintering hole first so you know i usually will try to find my winter holes and then go you know to the top or the bottom of them and uh, those fish were basically sitting where that current is you know it's not fast but there's fast current above it and it's flushing food down to them and they're actively feeding right there and that's so uh, those that aren't uh uh, familiar with your terms of sure. river top and bottom what what are you sure. referring to for them so if you if you think about the river flow, flowing downstream so the top would be the in like the the top of the wintering hole would be there where the current starts to slow down and creates a pool and then the bottom would be where the water picks you know speed back up and it starts forming another riffle so like a traditional river you're going to have like a riffle, pool, riffle, pool. So the riffle is, you know, kind of more fast. You know, it's not white water per se, but it's just faster water. And then, you know, the river kind of naturally scours out a hole. And then that creates, a, you know, a, a portion of river that's slower moving. And that's, you know, what we call pool. And then when the next riffle starts, that would be the bottom of the hole. So does that make sense? Yep. Yes. Okay. Okay, so I was also yeah. kind of curious about something. Yeah, go ahead. What do the smallmouth think about daylight savings time? 
<laughs> yeah, I actually just thought about that when you when I was talking. I was like, yeah, my my uh my whole sleepy daylight thing is screwed up. So <laughs> yes, I switched daylight savings time in a different time zone. So go figure that. It really screwed me up, but. Um, but yeah, so they, you know, they start to move like the first, first like kind of transition, you know, pro- even right now, like if we had, I think we're getting ready to have a few warm days in a row. Um, like if it's, you know, 55, 60 degrees, like two or three days in a row, like, and I was going out to the river, even though they're flooded right now, which is depressing. But if, um, if I was going to go out in the river, that's where I would go to those wintering holes and check the bottom or the tops of those um of those pools and uh it's kind of you know it's kind of neat like you know a lot of guys um think about like around here like it's a little later is when you start catching fish but really like the the super critical period for smallmouth to catch like big smallmouth is like you got about a week period where the those big those big um alpha females they're like moving out of those winning holes, they're usually the first fish to move out. And I don't know why but they're, they're the first fish to move out of those holes. And there's usually like, if you can catch it right, there's like a week where like, you'll just catch tons of big fish. And then after they get done spawning, then it's like, they're like really hard to catch the rest of the year. Um, until fall, you can catch them again in the fall, but they like really, really go, go into hiding kind of, um, but yeah, so from the wintering holes, they go to the top and the bottoms, and then they start looking for spawning grounds. And spawning grounds are just usually going to be like a. I usually look for just kind of for protected area that has a little depth, but not you know it's not a wintering hole. You know, I'm looking for like that three to four foot deep area that has some gravel and it's protecting from current. And those are those are a lot harder to identify if you're not um, you know familiar with a river. But like over the years, I kind of just see like where those fish go. And that's where you kind of catch those big fish in that time. You'll catch them in between the wintering holes and the spawning grounds. And they're kind of cruising back and forth. And they're feeding while they're kind of looking for their spawning ground um, nesting areas. And I had a, a trip last year. Um, I caught We caught three 20-inchers in, in a, a day and a half. And it was just, um, you know, it was just those fish were all like just cruising kind of in between the spawning areas and the wintering holes. So, um, and then after I didn't catch a 20 inch, I caught one more the rest of the year. So So, that tells you. So if I recall correctly, that trip you're speaking of, wasn't that when the rest of us were catching 12 inchers on West Boggs? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to go to that Boggs tournament (laughs) until I saw like 120 people were signed up for it. (laughs) I was like, ah, I think I'm gonna go try to catch some big smallmouth. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember I was judging a bunch of 12 and 13 inches, and you were texting me pictures of the massive smallmouth you were catching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good trip. That was a good trip for sure. So, um, but yeah, that, I don't if that kind of gives you guys an idea of like where to find them and what their patterns are as far as like how to fish for them. Um, my favorite springtime bait is a spinnerbait. So I use spinnerbait a lot. Um, and I usually just, my kind of um, theory on spring is I try to cover a lot, of, a lot of water with like a flashier 
type of lure, like a chatterbait, spinnerbait. Um, you know, usually the water's not super clear, so you don't have to uh, be real stealthy. And those fish are going to be pretty aggressive because they're, you know, feeding up from being wintered up all long, um, all, all winter long. So they're pretty aggressive. So I'm, I'm just trying to cover water and throw stuff that, um, you know, is sticking out, um, you know, in the in kind of the dirtier water because you do get a lot of turbid water in the springtime. Um, I mean, I caught, I think, I'm trying to think what I caught. I think I caught uh, most of my fish on the spinnerbait last spring. I threw through spinnerbait for um, the majority of it. So, yeah, nothing nothing crazy, weird technique. Um, and then, you know, once the once the spawn's over and, you know, this fit, that water starts to get clearer and lower, then I switch over to, like, a fluke-type uh, presentation, a little more subtle a little more finesse, a little more, uh, you know, pinpoint type of bait where, you know, I'm landed in spots like really, um, you know, specific areas rather than just trying to cover water. So, so Josh, are you throwing a bigger spinnerbait in the spring then? Are you throwing like a big blade or? Yeah, I would say my favorite type of spinnerbaits, if the water's clear enough, I'll throw like a double willow blade, like, um, usually throwing, Oh, like quarter ounce. If it's muddy, if it starts getting muddy, which I actually like fishing muddy in the spring, it's usually really good. You know, I'll switch over to something like a, you know, half ounce Colorado blade. Um, but, you know, it just depends, you know, um, really just depends. I just like covering water. I mean, crankbaits, anything that, you know, anything that's flashy and is putting off vibration and you can fish fast. Like that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do in the springtime. So it's fun. Are, you know? are you, it's fun. Yeah. And, and you, you say you're fishing and covering water. Are you also fishing those lures fast at that point or? Yeah, pretty fast. I mean, okay. those, okay. those fish, yeah, those fish are pretty, like I said, they're pretty aggressive. Like that's the one time a year, you know, late fall. I want to say late fall, like, like right in the middle fall they're usually really aggressive feeding and then early spring they're really aggressive and then you know i mean like in the summertime those smallmouth are aggressive but they're like the they're the like 14 to 16 inch fish they're not the 18s to the 20s um i mean they're fun to catch but you're just big fish like after probably mid-june those big fish just i i, I mean i've i've you know, that's probably the next evolution of my fishing is to get really good at catching those, you know, big fish. I just find it's hard, man. It's hard to catch those like super big fish in the middle of summer You know, the water gets a little low and clear. And I think they just get, you know, they got big like that because they're smart and they were, you know, they've learned to survive to be that big. So they've, they don't like expose themselves very easily. So that's like why springtime is such a good pre-spawn is like, my favorite time to fish because those fish are out and they have to feed because they know they're, you know, spawn, they got to spawn and they got to survive a stressful period. So they're like, you know, they have to be out feeding same thing for fall. They have to feed because they know they're getting ready to get really cold and sit down in the bottom of a pool all winter long. So those are like you two kind of vulnerable times for big smallmouth, In my opinion, I'm sure it's similar for large mouth too, but yeah. Good stuff, man. So, <clears throat> I, I know you mentioned that you don't have a whole lot of experience with 
with smallmouth and lakes. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, northern Indiana, we had uh, there's quite a few lakes with some smallmouth in it, and then you keep moving up into Michigan. Obviously, you've got more opportunity for lake smallmouth up there. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think? Um, how do you think those tactics and plans are different for lakes versus rivers for smallmouth? Well, I mean, they're obviously going to be, I mean, a lake is a whole different beast, right? I mean, you guys know that, um, it's, it's, you know, I, I will always say like, I, I like fishing rivers for a lot of reasons. One, just, I just think they're more enjoyable to fish. You know, you're not like you have the, the water kind of propelling you and you, you know, it's almost like you're running like a bass, boat with the trolling motor, right? You're, you know, you're kind of just moving the whole time and you can, um, you don't have to you know, constantly be sitting and paddling, sitting and paddling. Um, I guess that's probably why I've never got a pedal drive, you know, because the river kind of is my pedal drive. But um, as far as the differences, you know, lakes just got, lakes a lot harder to read. It's much less, you know, visual. Like a river, when you kind of get good at a river, you it's so visual. Like you, the current is everything. So when you're looking at a river and you're reading a river, you know, how fast and what direction the water's moving is totally going to tell you where the fish are at. Um, so once you crack that code and you figure out, you know, the current, then you're, you got it pretty much nailed down on a lake. You know, you don't have that. You have some visible structure, you have, you know, some lay downs and stuff, but that's why smallmouth is, you know, I know in the in the springtime they do that's like the one time when they do come shallow and you can sight fish for them on beds and that sort of thing. Um, but like some, you know in a in a bigger lake smallmouth they're just gonna like go really deep and you have to use electronics you got to find you know structure down deep and that's why you see a lot of guys like you know, you see guys fishing on St Clair and Erie and all those big lakes like they're right they're in the freaking you can't even see land where they're at you know, catch a smallmouth drop shot in the middle of the lake. So that's partially why I just don't enjoy it that much. It's probably a lot harder. So. <laughs> your, but, uh, uh, your, your yeah. movement breakdown during the spawn and in the fall too is, is pretty interesting. Um, there's this, I'm from Northern Indiana, Northeast Indiana, and there's this little lake uh, that, that my dad loves to fish and I've been on it with him a few times. And, um, it's an oxbow lake on the Pigeon River, and mm. um, it's pretty interesting to to hear your breakdown. I'd have to sit down and think about it a little bit, but it's it's literally um, fun to fish about four weeks a year, and that's two weeks in the spring and two weeks in the fall, and the rest of the year it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you know, fish are lake and river fish. They're all you know, they're they're fish. You know, it just there's different places for them to go in a river. And honestly, and you know, I should probably preface a lot of this is I'm talking about free flowing rivers that aren't dammed up into reservoirs because, unlike reservoir rivers, like those fish all like they go to the reservoir to winter up. Mm-hmm. So once I, I mean, I know there's there's um, stories of uh, guys they'll like catch a bunch of fish one day and then the next day they go out and literally they can't find a single fish and not see a single fish because they all like went 
you know, to the reservoir. Um, they migrated. We just don't have that here a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I think most of the lakes up north have smallmouth in them. They're natural lakes. Yep. Um, you know, they're not dammed up reservoirs, so it's a lot different. Like if you go up to like Michigan and Wisconsin and that, they have a lot of, you know, dammed up rivers that are connected to reservoirs where those fish just completely disappear out of the river. And they don't have that choice, you know. Here they're staying in the river. So, right. yeah. Does anybody have any questions for Josh? That was a absolute butt ton of good info. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, if anybody, um, you know, really, I I get a lot of questions from our other podcasts and our blog, but if you you know any of you guys on the podcast or you know um, you know people listening, if they you know just have general questions, I'm like I will. I like to talk, so if you guys can't tell. <laughs> so if you if you have questions, like I know Alan, you know, we kind of, me and Alan have gotten to know each other through like Facebook, you know, he was like, you know, texting me and stuff, you know, about the, the White River tournament before that happened. And, you know, I probably gave him too much information because so, I was fishing the same tournament as him. But, um, but yeah. Oh, like, White River was such a mess, right? I mean, it was just muddy, fast running water, right? It was... Uh, yeah, I like that though. I like that. I oh, like I know you. That's what you said. Uh, yeah, but it's love... different, right? Because a lot of people yeah. go, you go up there and you're fishing it, and it's fairly clear and slow moving. And I mean, yeah. the worst part, most of the time, you know, in that section of the river is dodging all the canoeists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Yeah, and that's uh, you definitely run into. You know, the river is gonna usually less crowded from a fishing perspective. But, um, yeah, you definitely get, uh, you get those like tubers and canoeists and stuff. It, it gets a little annoying and those people, they do not care if you're fishing and they're like slapping the water, throwing beer cans. So yeah, it, uh, yeah, it gets, uh, gets quite annoying sometimes in the summer. That, that's another reason why springtime's a really good time to fish. You know, those people aren't out there. So, Yeah. What's the what would you say is the number one question that you get? Uh, is, is, and if it's related to spring, that's perfect. You know, because we're talking about that. But yeah, what do you think is that number one question? You know, I it's surprising. Uh, probably the most questions I get are like, "What lures uh, I use or whatever." And we did a episode. It was like the top ten lure draft it was my favorite episode of our of our podcast and uh, that like has way more listens to it than any of the other episodes um but you know i always what i always tell people and i've said this in the podcast several times that people probably don't listen but i always say like the the fisherman makes the lure the lure doesn't make the fisherman um and i always say that because you know like people always want to know like oh you know what lures are throw what lures are throw i mean you can a lot of it for me is just how you fish the lure right like you could you could catch fish on a number of things um you know even in a lake you know you could f- catch fish on it you know for instance you guys all know aiden darlington everybody's like oh you know this dude's doing so well and he does but he's fishing i mean how many people do you think are fishing the exact same bait as him throughout the day 
you know. I mean, he fishes in Ned Rig. We all freaking know that, right? Like, that's all the kid fishes with. He's fishing in Ned Rig. I mean, how many people are throwing a Ned Rig out there? You know, it's how he fishes it. It's how he makes his placements. It's where he makes his cast. It's how long he leaves it in the strike zone. You know, it's how patient he is with moving the, the lure out of those places. It's casting multiple times in the same location that he knows the fish can be in. Those are the type of things I feel like make the difference, not like what you're throwing. And obviously that makes a difference somewhat, but I just don't get caught up in that as much as, you know, that's why I try to, for me, like people make fun of me for it, but I throw a fluke a ton. That's like, I probably have a fluke on like 98% of the time I'm out on the river. And I do that mainly because I fish with it as much as I can so I can get really good at it. So I'm like really good I see how fish react to it. I see when fish refuse it. I see, you know, um, you know how it falls. And I know I can count. Like, I know exactly how fast a fluke falls with certain hooks. So I know, like, oh, hey, you know, this is five feet deep here. I'm going to count to five and wait till it gets down to where I want it, that sort of thing. So I don't know if that answered your question, but, yeah. Anyone else? That's some dead air. Right <laughs> yeah, I might have to edit that <laughs> out. Definitely, I, I know Jason and I have talked about it in the past, right? The uh, the uh, Smalley lure draft. Um, right? We enjoyed that. That was an awesome so. podcast. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I haven't listened uh, to the fly one yet because probably 99.9% of that's going to go way over my head. Well, you know what? You should listen to it just because I make fun of them the whole time about being fly fishers. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm going to download it right now. Hang on. Where's my phone? Yeah. I, it was it was pretty funny because I was like ribbing them the whole time about being all elitist fly fishermen. So. Well, the, don't some of those flies have some pretty messed up names? Oh, yeah, and I made fun of them about that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and if you guys on the on the podcast here, um, I, I know, uh, obviously I know Alan, I uh, know Jason. Um, I, the other, Brad, I think I've I've talked to you a couple times, um, Brad Montgomery, and then, was it Matt and Brad Oswalt, right? The other two guys? Is that yeah. correct? Okay. Oh yeah, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. If you guys, uh, if you guys ever want to go smallmouth fishing, um, you know, if you ever want to just do a float or something, just message me, man. I'm always, uh, I go out all the time by myself cause I fish so much. Um, so, you know, if you guys are ever wanting to just, you know, itching to go catch some, some real fish, you know, some fish <laughs> that will get your blood flowing, just, just send me a message, you know, I'll, I'll take you out. And I can honestly like, you know, in the summertime, like I can guarantee you a, a thirty-five, forty smallmouth day. So I'll t- I'll take you put put you on some good fish. So sounds good. Now, it's probably for another another podcast, right? But uh, you know, Josh goes on some travel uh, smallie tours that, that he puts together as well. So yeah, uh, I love that. I love that. We're going to we're going to Upper Mississippi River uh, Memorial Day weekend, so I am totally looking forward to that trip. It's going to be awesome. So you were just up in Wisconsin this weekend, weren't you? Yeah, I did. I worked 
the Canucopia show for Wilderness Systems. Unfortunately, it's all ice up there right now. Um, <laughs> or else I would have been fishing. So I drank beer and slept in the hotel room when I wasn't <laughs> at the show. So it was fun, though. It was a good time. Yeah. So. And not to fire up this this deal again, but we have proven here in Indiana that you can ice fish from your kayak. <laughs> I did. I heard that. I was just, it was like what you guys call oh, that ice gate. Ice gate, is that what you're calling it? <laughs> I think it's just officially been named. You know, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I probably That's looked at that picture That's ten fine. times before I figured out what was wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Hey, man, more more power to you, you know? He's just being creative, right? Exactly. Well, the he thing did. about it was, is I think we were joking about that on the last episode, weren't we? Didn't I say something about... Uh, if I was if I was going to get out and fish in the March challenge, I'd have to get an auger. So we we had been Chad Howard and I had been talking about that for weeks because he lives up in uh, north of Indianapolis as well, and uh, he took it as far he just he just got a PA twelve and he said, well, if I roll it out there, drill the hole, and then fish down through my Mirage Drive. <laughs> yeah, hey, whatever works, right? Yeah, it's funny because I've done that sort of in the same spirit of things on um some of these some of these tournaments your kayak has to be in the picture you know and i'll go wading you know the river like i don't need a kayak it's too low to take kayak but i just drag it behind me just so i have it there for the picture so i i can't say that i i uh i'm above reproach with that stuff so So, Glenn, we've uh, covered smallmouth pretty well. Um, what kind of information can you give us for pre-spawn largemouth? Uh, I'm kind of worried I have to follow that. That was a great, great segment. <laughs> um, well, I get, can you hear me all right? I had to put it on speakerphone. It was going yeah. dead. So, Yeah, you're good. All right. Well, I guess... A lot of the um, the same things apply for largemouth that Josh was saying about smallmouth, um, other than the current. You know, as we all know, most largemouth don't like the current um, unless they have to be there. But uh, water temps, what I look for, you know, somewhere in the 50 to 60 degree range, um, depending on the body of water. I went out yesterday uh, just to test out some new electronics, and it's 42 uh, on the local lake and um, I, I could hardly even mark fish I don't know what was going on but <laughs> um, I guess the number one thing that I do pre-spawn is and everybody I think everybody knows it but it, I just look for funnels um, you know bridge, uh, bridge openings into um, into some back coves or um, you know coming off coming off some deep points and um, just kind of wait for them to stack up right there, getting ready to go in and, and do their thing. Um, so, Glenn, I made, uh, made some notes here because I'm not the biggest podcaster, so I had to write all this down. But um, let's see here. Um, oh, and one other thing I do, even though it's, you know, reading, I'm out there looking for 50 to 60 degrees when I first launched my boat. Um, and I get to an area where I would suspect some largemouth to be, you know, getting ready to go into some backwater is 
um, I just I bypass it a lot of times and and just head up to the shallow water even even though they're not typically um, bedding quite yet. Uh, a lot of times you'll find them up there just just chewing, you know. Especially like Josh said, you got three three days and well down here I think tomorrow in the next couple of days it's going to be in the seventies um, and that's that's going to move some fish up. You know they might they're not going to be thinking about bedding more or less, but they're going to be hungry, you know, they're, they're going to be looking for dinner. So I usually tend to do that. A lot of guys are out there fishing that ledge this time of year. And I'll, I'll move right up in there into the bushes and, and work them for a while and, um, and see what I can find. And it is muddy, which, which is, which is good because, um, because of the fact that you don't have to be so finessy, you know, I throw something bright on personally, uh, like bubblegum pink a lot of people don't throw that but but it's bright and they and they like it in the in the murky water uh, <clears throat> let's see. so glenn you threw out a term there earlier um just you know uh for so people are familiar with it right you said a funnel so can you explain that to people right well a funnel meaning um a passageway essentially into a bedding area. So, you know, the fish are locked up down there in 25, 30 feet of water, just kind of suspended for the winter time. Um, and what they're going to do is they're going to slowly push up as the water temperature rises. Uh, so around here, you know, I'm fishing lakes, I'm not fishing streams. So it's a bigger area that you have to, that you have to take into consideration so to to narrow my search, um, I'll look for a bridge opening, an overpass. In other words, um, it may just it may be 12 feet wide, it may be 100 foot wide, but it's it's still a funnel. It's, I kind of learned that through uh, through experience, but also kind of through hunting. I, I took the same the same approach. The easiest route and that they're going to take is the path of least resistance. You know, so. So instead of fishing all the um, all the things that look super fishy on the way, I just I go to the point where they're going to be bunched up. That that being the the funnel. That makes if that makes sense. <laughs> so if you're breaking down a new body of water, uh, maybe somewhere you haven't been yet, and you expect them to be pre-spawn, how do you go about locating those? the spawning flats and then locating the funnels to the spawning flats. Well, definitely maps. Um, you know, I think we all have, most of us have units on the boat, uh, on the kayak. Um, I run Laurent, so, so I, I pull up my maps and look at it that way. Usually a couple of weeks in advance, if possible. Of course, I've been say down South, um, Cato, I've been looking at spots on there for two months, but um, if I'm just shooting out for a quick tournament on the weekend, I'll usually just jump on the phone and look up Google Earth, but uh, in order to find flats, of course, out in the middle of the lake, um, I'll have to use my unit with an avionics. Um, that's a great tool, too, if you guys don't have an avionics and have the ability to... Uh, put the chip in you it's it's a no-brainer it's a it's a small expense for the 
for the information that you receive through them. It's what they do with the with the lake compared to what you know what comes with your unit is is absolutely amazing. So when you're looking, well, people at- can also use the uh, right, there's an avionics app on their phone. Um, they also have the free version on your on your computer as well, right? So if you're sitting and want to look at that stuff, it's a, a great resource as well. Uh oh, I think we just lost Glenn. Let me see if I can get him back on. I, he did mention something about his phone dying, didn't he? He did. Yeah, let me give him a call real quick and see if we get him back. Otherwise, that uh, we may be done with the large moth advice. Oh, there he is. Yep. There, I lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. Did you find some power? Uh, where were it? Somebody was was it? I don't know who was talking. Was that Alan? Yeah, it was. I was talking about the Navionics phone. app and the and then the free uh, version of it on your on a laptop or computer that you can get to. Right, exactly. I've had the app before. Um, actually, I took the free upgrade <laughs> or the uh, free trial, and then refused to fork out the money. <laughs> just mainly because I can look. I can just. I could just walk out to the garage, you know, and, and turn the unit on and look at it there and not pay for the app. But um, the, the mobile app is also an excellent resource, for sure. It can be a bit of so a when, battery hog, though, so make sure if you're using it, you've got uh, got some extra juice yeah. with you. Yeah, definitely. And the same goes for your unit, you know. Anytime yeah. you're running the maps, it, it really kills the battery. So when you're when you're looking at those maps, uh, however you're looking at them, um, obviously you'll have the contour lines to be able to to uh, decipher where the flats are. But are there any other aspects besides water depth that sort of identify spawning areas for you? Um, I mean, you know, not not really. Other than if, if there's feeder creeks and so forth, um, pushing pushing cooler water in i I don't know if it's just dumb luck (laughs) but i can i can just kind of visualize it i don't know how to really explain it but uh, i'll just look at it and i'll i'll see where that water's flowing in um in comparison with for instance a ledge or a plateau or or a bluff wall or something and you can you can just kind of tell where they're going to go um and it's it's really hard to explain other than just just getting out there and doing it, you know, and try 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 again till you figure it out. But um, if I can, that's that is another thing, especially uh, like down in Cumberland. I, I go down there every once in a while in Kentucky. Uh, I try to find like a like a, a hard bluff wall, and then anywhere there's a, a small cove off a bluff wall for some reason they they tend to come off that ledge that drop off they hit that bluff wall and they follow it around if there's a and it doesn't have to be big a small you know 100 150 feet across just just a real small cove right there i can usually find them um, stacked up at the mouth of that that's pre-spawn for sure 
same goes for Kentucky. Like a, it's a, a good tool to use there as well. Do you tend to follow uh, Josh's tactic with with the moving baits and covering a lot of water at that time? Most most definitely, yeah. I like I like a jerk bait. Um, that's probably my top my top three. Um, I like KVDs. They have like an extra deep dive um, jerk bait, and I'll run that on ten pound let. Uh, line so i can get it down about it gets down about 16 feet and it's just killing it just killing it out there that's that's usually my number one um other than of course i mean I'm a, i'll run a square bill and and a crankbait i'm not much of a spinnerbait fisherman unless i'm down on okeechobee or something running it through the tall grass but i know a lot of guys up here like spinnerbait especially in syac that was the big thing last year, everybody was on the white center bait. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a there was some history on that one. <laughs> it was it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was Robert Dale. He, uh, we'd had the the tournament. I think it was in uh, it was late summer, right down in Hoosier National Forest area, and uh, he caught. Uh, yeah, that was gosh, a September was showdown. Yeah, what was that? A twenty three. 22. Uh, oh, yeah. 20, 22 inch. He caught it on yeah. a white spinner bait and it, it just stuck. So, yeah. Yeah, I was all pumped up that morning because my first fish of the morning was a 19 inch fish. And I was like, yes. And uh, he pretty well dusted me with that 22. So, right. Yeah. There's some good, there's some good fish in there. So, Glenn, are you one that's jumped on the, uh, the jackhammer? That's, you know, was, I've I've had a guy for the last five years that's been making a special chatterbait for me. Um, he's went out of business, so I can't get it anymore. And it's nothing special other than it's all white with about ten uh, streaks in it. And I made it as a joke, you know, because we're UK fans. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> but um, I I absolutely lay them on that and you can't find that color anywhere obviously unless you make it yourself but since he's gone out of business um and i'm a big that's that vibrating jig is pretty much my number one but it has been for years or, or more i mean i you know since i first saw one and tried it caught my first fish i've always had it tied on and it's gotten big with a few what I guess was FLW tournament one with it. And I guess this weekend FLW, um, on, uh, what was it? Like Seminole in Georgia was one on the chatterbait. But, um, I did purchase one. I got a new, um, G Loomis about four weeks ago, I guess a new flipping rod. And they sent me a coupon, $10 off a $20 purchase. Well, well what the heck I'll get on there and use it. So I, I did purchase one um, Z-Man, what it, I can't remember, Jackhammer, yeah. I got on there and got one, three-quarter ounce, and I have to tell you, I haven't thrown it yet, but I'm in love with it just sitting on my kitchen table. It is, it's a work of art. <laughs> and that's what I'll be tossing down south. I mean, that's, that'll be my number one. 
Well, it worked for Dwayne last year. That's true. Would not surprise me one bit if this NC is one on a jackhammer. Yeah. The, the timing for it is going to be almost perfect. Yeah. And see, and I like pre-spawning with a chatterbait down down there. On average, you're going to be three to six feet of water. Um, there's a few deeper poles on Caddo that I've seen. I think the deepest, I actually think the deepest one I found on Navionics was 18 feet. Um, so I definitely already have a waypoint set for that just to go look. But the thing I like about that chatterbait is it's, it's two baits in one. You know, it's a search bait and you can stall it, but you can bed fish with it. And when I bed fish with it, three quarter ounce, you pass, cast up past that bed, come up to it and just, just kill it right at the edge and let it sit there until it drives them nuts. You know, you got to give it a little wiggle about every, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 seconds. You got to be patient. And they start flaring, flaring that mouth open, you know, they're ready to kill it. And just as they're doing that, I'll, I won't hop it, but I'll, I'll drag it as steady as I can and try to stir the dirt up and really cloud everything up. And I mean, that just triggers them every time. But you got to have a three-quarter ounce or a one-ounce bait to do that, you know. I'm not sure I own anything that big. I guess I'm a, I'm more of a finesse guy, I guess. <laughs> well, if you guys You're haven't the, uh... checked out uh, the Strike King Rage Blade, it's been out for several years. Uh, check that out as well if you like the chatterbaits. I've been wanting to check out the uh, that uh, Picasso tungsten knocker. It's a pretty sweet looking you know chatterbait. Yeah, I want to want to get in on that too. They say that tungsten makes a real unique sound. I'm like, sure it does. They've got one with a uh, with some weed guard on it too. That uh, would be nice to fish around heavier grass. Right. Yeah. Everyone that that my the guy that I had uh, Zach Vaughn's his name that um, everyone I had make for me had him make for me. Um, we put a weed guard on, mm-hmm. and that you know down here where I'm at, I fish bluegrass primarily and and Patoka, which that's a tough lake, but um, bluegrass is overrun with vegetation and um but i'll take that and i'll roll it through that grass just as as slow as i possibly can almost to the point where it doesn't even vibrate but every once in a while i'll give it that pop just to get that chatter out of it and it just kills them but yeah you gotta have a lead guard on there yeah for sure well guys i think we've uh We've definitely spent enough time talking tonight. You know how it is when we get a bunch of fishermen together. Chatter, chatter, chatter. But lots of awesome info. Um, you guys, thanks a lot for our guests to come on tonight to uh, cover some of this stuff for us. Um, good luck to everybody that's heading down south for the national championship. We'll uh, definitely have to all get together when you guys get back and... and talk about how things went and hopefully hopefully have a, a who's your champion on that'd be kind of nice that would be nice 
Yeah, good luck, guys. Get go uh, represent the Hoosier State. Yep, uh, you guys have safe travels down there, and uh, hopefully everybody does well. And yeah, that would be to have a have somebody from Indiana bring that back would be totally awesome. Hey, just just go cast a, just go cash a check. That's all that matters. So. <laughs> all right. How, how are they going to do? They pay us through PayPal. I don't think you can send fifty grand through PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> PayPal is what you did. Yeah, they'd like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's let's uh, wrap it up for the night, and uh, we'll all talk again soon, and uh, probably see you on the water here before too long. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. See you, fellas. Thanks, everybody.